Welcome. My name is Gina Timberman, and you are listening to Timber People, a podcast about people who, like timber, are strong, build and create, who gather us together like fuel that feeds fire. People who support structures of our community that uplift and protect. Hello, thank you so much, Apollo. Today, I'm so excited to welcome my friend, Apollo Woods, who's an entrepreneur and founder of OKC Black Eats, um, among many other things. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, I'm so happy to welcome you. Thank you for taking the time today to share and to be here. And it's great to reconnect with you. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. I'm excited. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before we talk about all the exciting things that you're doing, I want to really just talk about like where you're from. Like, you know, like we met years ago and uh, I want to talk about like what brought you to our community and and the inspiration that you have for the work that you do. You know, uh, people always connect me with like I'm from Houston. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's why people see me. I understand why, but I'm born and raised in Oklahoma, from Duncan, right. Stevens County. Yeah. Um, so then when I graduated high school um, in 97. Duncan I, Demons? Mm, Duncan Demons. <laughs> Duncan Demons. And um, mom and uh, mom and older sister, tons of families that are still there in right. Duncan. And then I attended the University of Tulsa. And then I had this urge to go visit uh, family, friends, even how that even happened. So where I grew up, well, in Duncan, my grandmother's, on my grandmother's street, it's my grandmother's house, my grandmother, grandfather's house. Right next door to them was my grandmother's one of our best friends. So my grandmother's best friend and uh, daughter and my mom became friends. So my older sister's middle name is named after her best friend. Oh, but cool. on the other side of the house was my grandmother's first cousin. Across the street was my grandfather's first cousin. Around the corner was my grandmother's brother. <laughs> so it was like a family block. So when I decided to go take this risk of going to go see Houston, had never been to Houston before. Right. Uh, went for spring break. And then at spring break, I decided I was going to transfer <laughs> after that because I was the guy that said I wasn't going to move back to Duncan. Right. And then I got to TU. I said I wasn't when I, when I transferred from Tulsa. I said I wasn't going to come back to Oklahoma. And I got to Houston, lived there almost 18 years. And then uh, did some great things there. And God was like, you're going back to Oklahoma. And I was like, no. <laughs> uh, so I worked in oil and gas. And so oil and gas was the official thing that brought me back working in oil and gas. Right. Um, I was the key account manager for an oil and gas company, one of the largest in the world. Um, had some success there. Was number one in the Western Hemisphere in sales. And so I was going to supposed to that here. You know, oil and gas industry is what it is. Enjoyed it while I did. And then in the midst of that, started exploring entrepreneurship and some things that was, that right. was led to. And so here we are, seven, seven years later. Right. Here in Oklahoma still. Well, I remember when you first started talking about OKC Black Eats. Uh, you know, someone said one time to me in my professional life, like when magic happens, it's when people are learning something and they're having fun. So if you can create a public experience or awareness around, you know, awareness, but also having fun. And I can't think of a better way to have fun than food. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what? And when I tell people that I never had a plan on doing this, right? it was never part of the plan. My plan was, here's my plan. I was going to be here three years. Right. At the end of my three years, I would transfer to Johannesburg, South Africa with wow, the company. Wow, I didn't know that. Or back to yeah. Houston. 
But in that process, I said, well, I need to reconnect with people because I moved to Houston when I was 18. I was 19. So in my developmental years, friends, family, connections, relationship, and everything. So that was the plan. So it was just, I got to find a way to reconnect because I was on boards in Houston. I was doing all this stuff there. And I felt, to be honest, I felt so disconnected from what I knew. Right. And I was 19. I understand that. And then I got here and I was, I was, I would say my first year I was depressed because I didn't, what I was accustomed to. And and I felt lost. Like it was just what I knew. If I would, if I go to a certain space, I want to connect with people like happy hour and networking to build up your network, you go here. Well, when I would go there in Oklahoma city, the relationships were not there. Like people were not connecting. Then I had to realize that, well, the way you connect in Oklahoma city is you had to join a civic organization. Right. Or be, and I was like, that's so different for me. And then when I would join those spaces, I'm the only black person in the space. Right. And then I'm discovering all this stuff and I felt so conflicted and lost. But then when um, things kind of tankered out with oil and gas, I said, this is not a place for me anymore. And I felt like I was being pulled out to do something greater. So how OKC Black Eats happened also, people don't know <laughs> that I was at Blue Garden one day yeah, learning my camera, and I was trying to learn how to do better in photography. I was taking pictures, and a guy says, you should take pictures of people making a mess with their food. <laughs> and he said, you should call it Awkward Eats. Oh, cool. So Very if you cool. look at Facebook, the Facebook yeah. page, the first name was oh, Awkward Eats. right. Okay. I couldn't figure that out. <laughs> And then it grew to OKC Black Eats, and that was the start of that space of just starting off with, I needed to discover where Black-owned restaurants and businesses were. Yeah. And it, at the beginning, it was getting people into places to support, just for brunch and support, and that's it. Because I didn't have a plan to be here long-term. Right. But it, what it grew to, and over time, it being an entrepreneur, is understanding the messaging became solid for me and impactful for me. And that's why, you know, I use the phrase our mission being bigger than food because it's not just butts and seats and restaurants. It's how do we build connection and culture, intersection and commonality and community through culinary and cultural experiences. It's about community and identity. Absolutely. It is. It really is. And also in my experience with where I love the concept of placemaking, of identity with places. Um, places bring us together. Absolutely. Places are, you know, it's like if you think of like Cheers or whatever, yep. it's like everybody, you know, yep. every, where everybody knows your name. Yep. Absolutely. So, but placemaking is so important in terms of community building. You meet like Indian people, you meet different people. Right. They're like, oh, I'm from this air, this community. You know exactly right. where it is. Yep. Like, you know exactly. And then you, you kind of like know your people. Right. By, so I love the fact that you have um, been placemaking for mm-hmm. some time yeah. and building community identity through food and through awareness. Because yeah. when you look at your plate, you know, when you really pay attention, look at your plate, um, let's say grains. You will find different grains, but may have same connections to other cultures. Mm-hmm. So whether it's rice, or it could be a grit, or it could be cornmeal, there's something different that was done. But there's a story in that. Not right. every region right. was able to have a certain type of grain, so it had to be in some way of transport from one country or region to another to get there. But there's a story in that. So when 
when you look at things like, let's take okra as an example, okra is not indigenous to North America. Right. So how did okra get here? Right. Um, when you look at um, the like tortillas and pitas and chapatis and different right. things, although it's the name is different, if you broke it down, you see there's this cultural connection through food that you can find on a plate. And then even when you sit down to eat, you feel different eating by yourself. Mm-hmm. But but when you sit down with somebody else right. to eat, you feel this connection to a person. And, I, and this is how it worked for me with Black Hates in the beginning. Up until about 2020, people wouldn't typically go want to eat with me at a Black-owned restaurant. They would say things like, hey, well, let's meet over here. Like, why? Like, you know what I do. Like, right. let's meet. <laughs> so now it be, it's become, I want to go, show me where you would go to eat. And people assume that it's in one area of town, but there are Black-owned restaurants and business all over the metro. Right. So when the discovery becomes to the other person, where they're looking for me to educate them, but it also is an opportunity for me to understand the other person's perspective. I have no idea. I'm a Black right. man in, right, in the United right. States, in Oklahoma. I have no idea how it feels to be someone of a different race or different background in their world. And so people often come to me and ask me to give insight in my world. Well, in the process through food, I also get to understand, like, now I get a better idea of the other person's experience in the world and where do we connect. And the first place we're connecting with in those conversations is we're connecting with food. You know, that's important. Uh, I also think there's something particularly unique about being from Oklahoma and and identifying that perspective that you have, because we were, you know, not not too many people. We have a couple of tribes that are, are indigenous to here, but we're a collision of cultures. Absolutely. And we all have stories that are rooted in our own heritage perspectives mm-hmm. about how we came to know Oklahoma Oklahoma as home. Mm-hmm. So I really think that's important because um, we, you know, yeah, we were a collision of cultures today. We can be a collaboration of cultures. And yeah. I really think that whether you're native, black, Hispanic, if you're in, you're in Oklahoma, you're from Oklahoma, you have a really interesting story to tell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we traced our heritage all the way back to our slave trader. Right. Um, and actually, our slave trader was Chickasaw. Wow, yeah. And so... Um, when you look at the homepage of the Chickasaw Nation's website, right. James Colbert was our slave trader. Oh, wow. So then we done all of our family history. And so we found um, land allotment deeds were parts of the right. land that we were given to us, our sovereign land. So then we have all this story. So then what's interesting about even learning that story is it was the women in our family <laughs> that held the most wealth. Right. Um, it's funny stories that happen, but so we're redeveloping our family land. Most of us in Garvin County. My grandfather was born in the Arapoca Mountains. Um, my his his grandfather, my great great grandfather, um, established one of the first Black Freedmen churches oh, in wow, Garvin yeah. County. So when you understand like the power of your family, your culture, and where those things connect, and you're right, you realize we all have this interesting story. But one thing I've I've always felt about Oklahoma City is it's a great place to create opportunity, but there's also this huge opportunity to find a ways to create intersections. Absolutely. 
also like knowing our stories. Um, if you're aware, I'm so glad to hear that you know your family history because it also gives you this confidence that you can transcend difficult times right. and overcome. Right. Um, and the fact that you can uh, make connections unsuspecting ways mm-hmm. or unsuspecting ways, like understanding where the other person is coming from. Right. That's really important. When you break down community, C-O-M-M, it's hard to create community when you don't have communication. Oh, right. Very cool. When you also, without communication in the community, you don't have connections. So if we're truly the way we build community, we have to find ways of commonality. It is really easy as a human being to find something wrong. Really easy. It creates stories. It's in the algorithm. It's in our world. You know, we think about all the things that we have to do and what we might not get done. But if you revert that frame of thought and think about how much did you get done today? Yeah. You know, what is it that I have in common with the person sitting across from me? Because if you understood what that person sitting across from you or you have in common, that becomes a starting point of discovery. And it no longer becomes I'm sitting across from a black man. Right. I'm sitting across from I'm sitting across from a person. Right. That we are enjoying a space and time. And I learned something about that person that makes me say, we find a way to connect. Right, right. You know, OKC Black Eats, it's like community eats. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I love that today, in today's world, we have platforms like OKC Black Eats, where you can learn about culture through food, mm-hmm. community through food, you know, and with native food initiatives, you know, food sovereignty, like they're... You know, I grew up, I'm an Indian girl that does Indian things. Like, I'm Choctaw. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our people, you know, migrations, pre-removal, ancient times are all really about food. Like, where crops would dry up, you know, our corn, you know, migrations, we had to follow the water. Yep. And so uh, it's really great that today you see, you know, different initiatives or different uh, media about chefs doing interesting things and i know you're a major supporter Mm. of chefs Mm -hmm. doing really cool things and i love learning from you just from a distance yeah yeah and and it's interesting that um so really quick on the the family history side so where our family house is in hennepin oklahoma um i know where that is wild (laughs) wild horse creek follows right to the back of the property right um but just even what you're saying in terms of like looking at just from there. So my family being a part of the, having strong roots in both the Chickasaw and the Choctaw nation right. is I re, I will remember my grandmother, she would sit on the porch and she would sing songs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I didn't understand the songs that she was singing, but then she, every once in a while she would say, so when she was growing up that she would hear songs from the mountains. Yeah. And I'd be like, and so I was a kid. I was like, oh, grandma does that thing. But then as she got older, I was like, oh, now I understand. Yeah. So then we found this picture. And so all that stuff's to the, the chef side. So I get really excited when I go to a restaurant and I look at the plate. Mm-hmm. Because the chef is telling you a story in the plate. Even if you look at some cultural norms when you go, for us, I'm one of uh, 47 grandkids. My wow. grandparent, my maternal side had 12 awesome. kids. Big family. <laughs> but the first thing we do when we walk in my grandmother's, my grandfather's house is that we didn't go to the living room. We went into the kitchen. <laughs> right. 
My grandmother's birth certificate said um, when she was born that she was a domestic servant. Mm -hmm. Her death certificate said domestic servant. My grandfather was one of the first black dishwashers at Halliburton. My grandmother wow. actually worked for Mr. Halliburton. Wow. So I understood how they valued food and community. And even to this day, we walk in that house, though both of them are gone, God rest our souls, that we go to the kitchen. Right. And we sit in the table right. in the kitchen. Where's everybody at? In the kitchen at this card table that barely hangs on, but we're <laughs> in the kitchen in this food environment talking about what's going on in life. And I, and I feel like we, we're, let's say, the post-COVID environment. Right. That we've lost so much in connection because we have people who have, we have kids, their first entrance into first grade start off on a tablet, right. not in a classroom. Right. So how do we take culture, how do we take food, the things that make our cultures great, individually and collectively to create community. How do we do that? And that's what I try to learn and try to do. It's how can I get people to not think about when I say black or say soul food, it becomes a negative thing. Mm -hmm. How do I introduce to them that what I'm introducing to you is a cultural experience and inviting the other person to introduce to right. me a cultural experience too. And that we find some commonality and connection. Right. You know, um, that's so important is really understanding how food is connected to our histories. I love that you talk about, you know, where did this food come from? You know, a lot of people think about traditional native food as like fry bread. Well, you know, that's like born out of removal, you know, <laughs> yeah. of like survival. Yeah. That's, that's born out of, you know, these rations that were given out and commods, you know, to native people. I got a question flour. for you. Though. Yeah. <laughs> what are some, what are some traditional native foods that you enjoy, that you think people don't connect back to your experiences, your culture, your life? Three sisters, you know, like corn, beans, squash, you know, I, I think very basic, yeah. you know, very basic. Um, you know, there's a real opportunity to really explore I did a cleanse once, once. I, I mean, I should do it more often, but I did a where, and I, you know, if I started thinking about it and I was like, you know, I'm kind of actually doing what we indigenous, like what we ate from an indigenous and I felt great. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about what our people ate and it was, you know, a, different foods and um, some foul, you know, and sure. different things. And I felt wonderful. And I was like, you know, if we go back to how we ate as indigenous people, we'd probably all be doing a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> because your, your your body responds to food in right. a different way. Right. You know. Uh, exactly. Other, you know, like I'm, yeah, I'm O positive. And they say like O positive people handle stress and stuff better. And they're not good at going vegetarian or vegan. I've tried it. It was hard. <laughs> um, but how your body and your DNA, your culture does influence where it's almost like it's saying, I want more of what right. is the core of who right. I am. Right. right. So when you were eating things that were indigenous to your culture and your community and your people, you you felt a spiritual connection that was different. Right. And that's why I do think there are critics of food sovereignty initiative, you know, at times, but yeah. that is important. There is something about our hands putting, you know, sowing the seeds yep. for what we create yep. and harvesting that. Yep. And our ceremonies were around food yep. and harvest and green corn and, you know, our different ceremonial aspects. So it is important. Yeah. 
Yeah. I went to, I was in DC recently and um, I'm discovering coffee. Right. Um, so of course, when I start finding something, I want to figure out the root of things. Right. So people would say, well, you know, the origins of coffee started in Ethiopia. And I was like, okay, well, let me go figure out this thing about Ethiopian coffee. If you ever been to DC, there's Ethiopian culture right, everywhere right, in right. DC. So Love I went it. to this Ethiopian <laughs> uh, coffee shop and loved it. But I also learned how they do coffee in Ethiopian culture is in the country of Ethiopia is someone roasted, right? And then some, and they're sitting around, and then they that's roasting it will then let the people who are around them smell the roast, and if they agree, then they continue on with. Um, steeping or making the coffee. But that's where that person's job stops. Somebody else serves it. So you have someone who is getting approval from the people as they Mm -hmm. roast. Somebody else comes in and they then serve it. And it's why the process of enjoying coffee in Ethiopian culture is not a short process. Right. It is probably an hour because they're talking, they're catching up, they're building connection and if you think about coffee houses now, right, it's about it's like wait, you have the roaster, you have a barista who's serving people. This wasn't like an innovative business model. This came back to a culture of a people that was centuries ago, and now it starts here. Right. So coffee is not just coffee. You know the things that you do as a human being. You if you take them back you're like this isn't new like my family has always done this and it creates this sense of pride and love like this is my contribution to the world yeah this is why i should continue carrying on this thing right this is what i add value into the global community yeah you know if you think about it you know i think about museums and cultural centers like this has always been a cultural center you know if i look at where First Americans Museum is. It's the intersection of I-30 uh, on the riverways. We were always meeting. We were always sharing. We yep. were always connecting, trading, yep. you know. Um, and so you're continuing longstanding traditions mm-hmm. in the community. And I love the fact that uh, what you're doing is not just about food. It's right. about community support and community development. And right. I know that you have a strong commitment to the development of Northeast Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that? Yeah. And even how that started, it started through food. Right. You know, I learned that, you know, we had businesses who or business owners who were working really hard and didn't have enough time to get outside their space. I mean, the reality is, you know, Oklahoma City is still a segregated type of city right. in the sense that if we had more ways of connection, then more folks would be out and about. But I'm a networking person. So right. then I would bring information back. And then when I started realizing, well, how me getting involved in real estate started was when I lived in Houston, I got to a chance to see firsthand experience a community push back against gentrification in right. Houston and Third Ward. Because the University of Houston is located in Third Ward, right outside of downtown uh, Houston. So when I got here, I saw these things happen I'd seen before, but I didn't see the collective movement. And I right. and I felt called to do my part. And then doing my part, I realized, like, y'all, did we have people in the table or in the conversations who actually understood how we can do it right. without being, feeling like we had to be dependent on somebody else to do something for us. Right. I believe that when you give your power away, 
expected somebody else to do for you, they dictate the direction. Right. And I believe that we, so that's how that part started and started off in um, giving the efforts in Northeast Oklahoma City. Right. We're creating the, the, the Northeast OKC Developers Conference, very successful in 2019. And that got myself tapped into what it takes um, and meeting great people. Um, but it also then grew beyond that too, evolving our efforts to it has to be a global citywide effort because the populations in Northeast Oklahoma city are declining with black folks moving out of right. Northeast and ward seven in those districts. So if we only focused on one area, but we're saying that we're intentional about helping black owned businesses and black people, we can't alienate the businesses and the people who live outside of that area because you're, you're creating a collision, right? So then how do you then bring people to the table across the metro area who have valuable skills and assets and inputs and abilities, bring them all together for the benefit of black community, not just one area of our city? And that's where uh, things have evolved to for me and how even my brand and business is if I'm helping, if I'm saying I'm committed to helping Black-owned businesses, then it's not limited to one area of geography. Right. It's wherever Black-owned businesses and Black people are. You have to connect spheres of influence. Have to. And that's really about community. Absolutely. I mean, we're all tribal peoples, mm -hmm. you know, and so you have to understand, like, what that means in mm -hmm. terms of community and connect the spheres of influence to really make impact. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've heard stories from people that it's it's going back it's that part of the black family that lives in an area where they are the only black family or they are the the extreme minority of a particular community. How do they respond to microaggressions? Right. Where do they feel isolated? They don't go outside of their house. They have kids that stay inside the house because they right. don't feel safe right. because they don't have people to connect to in the community. People have misunderstandings, and then we were going through um, very high tents of race challenges and issues in our city and across our country. So that person or family feels isolated. But the most population, the most populated place is not where they live. Right. It's another side of town. But that side of town, particularly Northeast, has its challenges too, so now you have people who are trying to find a way to connect, but they feel isolated and they feel they've been pulled apart. So then how do we get those experiences to say, hey, no matter where you are, there's a place for you to connect? Yeah, and that's where social media, you've done a wonderful job with social media and using technology to really connect and get awareness. You know, I've known you, I've met you personally, yeah, yeah. and we have mutual friends. Yeah. But I, I don't think through, without social media, I would not be aware of everything. And so I'm really grateful for that. There are pros and cons of social media, but I'm really grateful for that. Um, and, you know, you're talking about the family that, you know, it's interesting to me um, that it's reciprocal because they're responding, a family is responding to their environment, no matter who they are, where they are, you know, the realities. But they also become, whether they like it or not, ambassadors of culture Absolutely. where it's reciprocal, where other community, where people in that community, they may be the only family 
right. of culture, color that they know of. Right. And so whether they like it or not, they're kind of their own ambassadors of right. culture. And that's how people think about community and culture. Right. So it's interesting to me that mm. that relationship, that reciprocity of reality, but also of, um, yeah, the realities that are associated with that. Yeah. And some people, you know, they 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 don't want to really carry that flag. And, yeah, right. right. They don't it's like whether be, they like it or not. Yeah, yeah. They don't want to be the ambassador. <laughs> right. But I, when I sit, um, I also serve on the Oklahoma City Convention and Visit Bureau in terms of tourism. And we have the conversation all the time about how do we show the world that Oklahoma is more than what has been advertised. Right. Right. There's just one, well, two sides of Oklahoma from being um, it is a white cowboy and native state. Yeah. That's it. And people joke about, well, y'all got black people? Yeah, we have black people. Yeah. I mean, although, collision of cultures is real. Yeah. I mean, although Collaboration the, sta- the of state cultures. population <laughs> for black folks is under 5%. Right. But you can still showcase how much cultural exists in a country. So then in a, in a city or state. So when I start showing people these different experiences through the benefits of having social media, then it becomes like, oh, wait, I didn't realize that we had this right. in a town. And so what that's led to having great conversations in the Asian community right. and, and the Hispanic community about, hey, in the beginning it was asking me to help them. Like, no, I, I don't have, I, I don't have the honor to do it for you. Right. But let me be the example of you can do it for yourself because people are looking for, here's the great thing about being in Oklahoma, is because people don't expect it, that's the best right. opportunity to do it. I'm hosting some friends uh, for a visit to Oklahoma to learn about tribal museums and cultural centers this next week. And I'm really excited to just showcase, like, we have a renaissance happening all around us, native and non-native. And I'm so excited to just take them on the Oklahoma world tour. (laughs) Because all they see is that one part. So they're like, wait a minute, I didn't realize that. If you live in, every, the perception is everyone in Oklahoma goes to Dallas to do that. Oh, right, right. That's the perception. right. But when people from Dallas or other places come here, like, I didn't realize that you had all of this. And all. We have the the U.S. rowing team right. that trains here yeah. in Oklahoma City. Um, of course, we have our Thunder organization. We have our sports teams. But where else can you go where you can go 10 minutes and you can go to a lake and walk on a trail? Right. You can't do that in any other right. city. You can't do that in Dallas. You know, where else can you go where you can go and just go on some great hikes and find um, great peaceful places? You can smell fresh air. You yeah. don't worry about the fog. Right. But we as people living in Oklahoma and from Oklahoma have to do a better job of bragging about the great things that we have. Absolutely. We have to own, own our space. Yeah. I, I oftentimes say, if not you, then who? So we exactly. need to be the ones like telling, exactly. <laughs> telling our story. Yeah. That's, I really love that you engaged the voice of people in telling the story. Um, you were talking to me earlier, sharing with me that you interviewed, you know, a, this incredible chef that mm. never been interviewed. And yep. it just blows my mind. Yeah. yeah. I, even here recently. So we started evolving more. Right. And so I wanted to find other black chefs that were not in just the traditional black owned restaurants. Because every time I would find a black chef that was in a, not in a black owned restaurant and I would say, I came to see you. The the smile on their face and yeah. the comments would make like, you came to see me? Yes, I came to see you. And they would say how good it feels when they know that someone came to see them. Right. Because they are in the space by themselves. 
And so um, we started this kind of like group me. We call it the Black Chef Society. Right. Um, because even, it's typically with chefs, when they're off, they want to go try somebody right, else's food. Right, right. But where would you know that. to go, right? And, um, and and so that's been another like great kind of experience we're adding on because then you get to see like, it's that possibility of, you mean I can actually make it here in Oklahoma City? Right. You can, but again, it goes back to, we have to create more options for people to connect. Absolutely. Um, and build confidence that they can be their own entrepreneur. Yep. I mean, yep. it takes a lot of... It, I, it's a warrior that, yeah. <laughs> like you that is an entrepreneur. It's not for it's, everybody. This, yeah. this world of entrepreneurship is not for everybody. You the know, hustle is real. Late nights and early mornings. <laughs> we were talking about that. You know, I think it takes a lot of courage. Yeah. You know, you were working in a you know very secure industry. You have the education experience working in you know industry, and then to have that courage to just go out and do your own thing. You know, it's it's different and it's it's great. Um, but I also want entrepreneurs to have that confidence and to resources that they have support and that um, they understand stories of overcoming challenges that come with that. And I, this is for me, when people ask me how do I get started, uh, two degrees, MBA, right, all this kind right. of stuff. And the traditional route of starting a business, I didn't do. Um, this is that part of the story that many people, I've said it maybe less than a handful of times. Um, this was, had to be 28, 2018, December 26, 2018. Um it was a weird weather day in Oklahoma, and I was like, I got the house. So I, I love to, that you know the date, the yeah, exact date. because that date is important. <laughs> and I went to Top Golf, and I was like, I'm going to Top Golf. I got right. the house. Um, weird weather day. I know and, exactly the yeah, day you're talking about, yeah. too. And so I left out of there, but I was like, I don't need to be here. Called an Uber because um, I didn't feel like driving. And so I'm giving this description because it matters in this, in this quick story. It's as I go to the Uber, it's a, you know, pearl white. Honda Accord. Right. I'm on my phone, not paying attention, get in the car. So usually when someone drives you, they turn to look at you. Right. Never made eye contact. I don't care. I'm looking at my phone. Um, so someone's driving, they look in the rearview mirror and you can see them. Right. Well, it was weird because it was a lady who had like this white feathery, furry-looking jacket. And I was like, that's Oklahoma attire. Not worried about it. <laughs> but she had blonde hair, yeah. and she had, like, blonde eyebrows. And then I, I would look in the room mirror, and I couldn't see her face, but she was short. And I was like, this is weird. But then she started asking me questions. The one I thought was personal, but then she asked me a couple of questions that I know nobody knew. Oh, wow. Like, this is a prayer that I prayed. Yeah. There was an absolutely no reason that she would know, or nobody would know. And then at that point, my interest was Pete. And so I was like, all right, when we get to the driveway, when someone, you let them out your car, you turn and look at them. That's just kind of a natural, right. hey, you turn, look at them. Um, she never did. Got in the car, parked diagonal, and she turned only this way, and I could only see the side of her face. So uh, you probably can't see this, but like, let's say like you're, I'm you, I'm her, and then she turned in a way where I can only see this. Right. And she said, um, I'll never see you again, but you're going to do something great in this world. Oh, wow. 
and and I'd say that quick story because wanting to be an entrepreneur is not about making a lot of money. Right. It's becoming a better person. But when you understand what your purpose is and what your contribution to society is, that the work that you do becomes impactful right away, not in 20 years. And I had no idea that the work that I'm doing now, that the impact would be what it is to this point. Right. Um, it's hard, but I become a better person um, through the trials and the mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, but in terms of the impact that the business is making is because this was a purpose that God was given. Again, the mission's bigger than food because it's about people, community, and culture, and connection. And from those things, great things are happening and right. relationships are being built. Um, and able to tell the story, even on this even this podcast with you, it's being able to have a chance to tell an audience that may not know nothing about me. Right. Or, or OKC Black Eats. But understanding more of, okay, it's about community and culture and people, but it's done through food. Right. I really love that story because I think the the creator speaks to us in different ways and we have to be open to that. And I'm so glad that you are open and can recognize like the unique, special experience in, in that moment. Um, and I love, uh, yeah, I love that story. I love the word you said, purpose, you know, and I think that's really about, that's an ongoing journey. Like, we're always there. There are songs, ending songs. Like we're still on our way. We're still on our journey, and I'm so grateful for you, Apollo Woods, for the journey that you've been <laughs> on and that you are on, yeah. and for connecting our community. Thank you so much for being on Timber People today. No problem. I appreciate being able to share the story. Thank you. Yakoki, thank you for joining us. Timber People is brought to you by the Possibilities Podcast Platform.